And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. So I'll just uh, break there. The first thing to look for here in this passage is uh, this great wonder in heaven, this first great wonder, which is a woman. Uh, she's clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. So I try and picture the imagery as we go through. Upon her head, a crown of twelve stars. And she is with child. She's being with child, cried, travailing in birth. So a child is being delivered. And she's in pain to be delivered. And now we have a second wonder. Verse 3, there appeared another wonder in heaven. So the first wonder is this woman who is travailing in labour pains to deliver a child. And there appeared, verse 3, another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Wow. A great red dragon. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. Um, when my wife was in the labour ward, I, I'm not sure a great red dragon would have been well received as uh, she was there. But this is what is happening. The woman is, uh, is, is travailing in labour pains and the dragon is standing before her. And he's standing before her for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. So the child is delivered. And uh, this child rules the nations uh, with a rod of iron. And he is caught up to God and to his throne. Uh, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there. Uh, This is an important reference which we'll see throughout Revelation. She is going to be fed in the wilderness a thousand two hundred and three score days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So now we have a battle uh, in heaven. We have the Michael, the archangel. Uh, and his angels are fighting against the dragon. Verse 8, they prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. And here we understand what that dragon is, if we haven't realised thus far. Verse 9, that great dragon was cast out of heaven. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth, the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night so we have tones of victory and rejoicing in heaven and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death uh, these are believers uh, who 
valued faithfulness to Christ and to God uh, more than their own lives and uh, uh, that's what we have in, in verse 11 therefore verse 12 rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth, he, he knoweth that he hath but a short time and when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. So cast your minds back. Remember, the dragon was there to try and consume the child when it was born. And he failed, and the child ruled the nations with a rod of iron, and the child was taken up into heaven. There is a battle in heaven, and the devil is cast out with his angels. And when he saw that he was cast out, verse 13, he persecuted the woman. The woman is still on earth. He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished uh, for a time. This is the same period of time that is referenced before. It's just referenced in years this time, uh, instead of days. She's nourished for a time and times and half a time or a year two years and half a year two and a half years uh, sorry uh, a year two years and half a year three and a half years I'm, I'm actually an accountant you wouldn't believe it that's the first sum that's the first sum I've had to do and uh, a very extremely simple one I failed it so three and a half years from the face of the serpent verse 15 and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now I know I've tried to break that up a little bit, because I know it's hard to concentrate even though this is God's word and we treat it with the reverence and the importance that it deserves. Often as a speaker on the platform is reading a passage, your mind can wander. So I've tried to break it up and try and help us understand what's happening as we go through. But let's, let's just recap again. There are two wonders in this passage. There is a woman and she's clothed with the sun and uh, she is labouring in, uh, in pains of uh, childbirth to deliver a child. And there is another wonder, which is a dragon, a great fiery red dragon. And that dragon is standing before the woman. He knows the importance of the child that is going to be delivered. And he's wanting to consume the child, he's wanting to destroy the child. And he fails, and not only does he fail, but the child rules the nations with a rod of iron. So that child becomes a very powerful uh, ruler over the nations. And then that child is caught up to God in heaven. And at that point, or at that point in the passage at least, we read that there is a battle in heaven. And Michael and his angels fight with the devil and his angels, the dragon. And the dragon and his angels are cast out of heaven. And when they're cast out, they come down to earth with a very great fury. 
and the devil knows that he has two and a half, I've done it again, three and a half years, uh, as long as I don't make the same mistake with the time, (laughs) Uh, he knows he has three and a half years uh, with which to persecute the woman, he hates the woman who delivered the child. And so he comes down in the second half of this passage, he comes down to earth with his angels to persecute the woman. And there is a message from heaven, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, The devil is come with great anger, great wrath, and he knows that he has a short time. Verse 12, so that's what we've read in in chapter 12. Hopefully that uh, clarifies a little. Let's move on to chapter 13. And I stood, or, or actually... This could be he stood, which is the dragon. Um, I, I think it potentially should be he stood upon the, stand, the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, uh, having uh, seven heads, here we go again, seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. Uh, So this beast is extremely eloquent. Power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Even I can do that some... 42 months so we have we've had that period in days with the woman we've had it in years with the dragon and now we have it in months with the beast it's all the same period of time three and a half years and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them Power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. This is a little bit of a parenthesis, by the way, because we've read something terrible, something absolutely terrifying. We've had outlined to us a, 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 a world ruler who is going to rule across all nations and he is going to be dominant, he's going to be eloquent he's going to be a blasphemer against God he's going to persecute the saints it's going to be a terrible time for believers in God saints during this time and here we have, uh, I I like this in verse 9 it's as if this is written for those people who will be alive at this time if any man have an ear let him hear Listen to the promise. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the, of the saints. Let me just 
carry on that parenthesis a little bit. Here we have saints who are trusting in God. They're faithful to the Lamb. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And uh, here's a promise to them as they see uh, things which have never been seen uh, to date. Uh, A persecution uh, of the saints uh, which is utterly terrifying. Global domination of this beast. And uh, listen to what God says to them. He says, it's as if he's saying, don't worry, have faith, have patience. He says, he that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. And he that killeth with the sword shall be killed with the sword. And so that's a promise uh, of justice. Verse 11, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. So we've had this first beast, now we have a second beast. Uh, I beheld another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. Here we have uh, something quite remarkable. To make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life or breath unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, let him that hath understanding Count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. Six, the famous six, six, six. We're looking for for God to to help us as we consider this passage uh, together. In this, just a, a brief recap of that chapter thirteen. Uh, we have two beasts. A first beast who is given power by the dragon. The dragon gives this beast power. He's going to be a world ruler. He's going to dominate the world. He's going to be a terrible tyrant. He's going to tread underfoot the saints. He's going to blaspheme the name of God and of Christ. Uh, And he's going to be supported by a second beast. Notice that the dragon, the first beast and and the other beast... They have the same characteristics, but they're not the same. They have the same characteristics. They, have, um, they are described as having seven heads and ten horns. Uh, so we have the dragon who has seven heads and ten horns. We have this first beast who's going to be a world leader who has seven heads and ten horns. And we have his supporting act uh, who is known as the false prophet. And this false prophet is also... Uh, characterized by seven heads and ten horns. So they're different, but uh, they are characterized by the same uh, things. They have the same nature. Uh, Now, uh, in terms of the comments that I'm going to make 
I would like to uh, credit Jim Allen's book, What the Bible Teaches on Revelation, uh, strongly uh, for being the most helpful source of information that I've gone to. And a um, very, very interesting book uh, to read. And I, I don't think it would be fair for me to give the message and, and the teaching that I'm giving without crediting uh, that book. Uh, this, in terms of Revelation, just to contextualise this, this is the third parenthesis in the prophecy. So remember uh, that at the beginning we have, uh, we have a message to the churches and then we have uh, that book in heaven, which I think is the title Deeds of the Universe. It's got seven seals on it. And no one is found worthy to open that book except Christ. You've gone through this. And here is the lamb that's been slain. And he takes that book. And I think as we go through, we start opening those seals. And we have the seals opening. And judgments coming on earth uh, during the, tri- the time of the tribulation. I haven't got time to go into any of uh, Daniel's 70 weeks. I'm understanding that you've been there and, and done that and that we're here in the tribulation period uh, of the earth and in terms of this prophecy which uh, outlines what is to happen we have uh, seals, then we have trumpets, then we have bold judgments and uh, the seals are opened and after we get to the sixth seal there is a parenthesis and, and uh, a new teaching, different teaching uh, comes in and then after the sixth trumpet uh, we have another parenthesis and then as we start this period of bold judgments by this cascades right so you've got seven seals uh, as you come to the end and you open the seventh and you start going through the trumpets and then you go through and, and start on the bowls things cascade into ever more dire circumstances for the earth it culminates I believe in uh, this second half or, or this midpoint period in the tribulation, uh, which uh, a lot of this passage is placed at. But as we are looking to uh, go over this passage briefly uh, this evening, um, w- what has jumped out at me is this, that there is a spiritual, a spiritual battle, there's a spiritual reality uh, behind everything. We get caught up in our day-to-day lives and the humdrum and the busyness and uh, the children and all the activities and that's completely logical and that's understandable and, and right uh, but this passage it peels back the it, peel, it lifts back the, the screen and, and you can see actually what is happening through time these are quite remarkable chapters uh, which are thoroughly interesting and I really hope do your best to stay with me and I'll do my best to explain things uh, to the best of, of my ability but but uh, God, uh, through the Apostle, is uh, outlining for us, peeling back the screen and showing just what happened with the nation of Israel um, and the child that is born, Christ, and the cosmic battles that are taking place and just how serious things are in terms of spiritual realities behind the nation of Israel and behind Christ. We know that Christ wasn't just a historical figure. The world would have it at that. But at that time when Christ was born, the dragon was there. He was wanting to devour the child. These are really uh, interesting things. And we have an insight into what's going to happen in the second half of the tribulation. Um, And we'll go through 
and look at that as we go over the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. By the way, in case I don't get to uh, the conclusion in which I note this, as uh, is likely to be the case, um, you know, here we have a, an evil triumvirate, right? We, we have the Trinity, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here we have, the devil does, always does things in opposites to God. Here we have the dragon, and we have the beast, his ruler, his world ruler. And we have the false prophet. Um, so it's quite an interesting, interesting thing uh, to note at the outset of, uh, of our comments. We have glimpses into uh, just the second half, not just what happened with the nation of Israel and the birth of Christ. But we have uh, glimpses into the second half of the tribulation. And what a terrible time that's going to be. In terms of understanding this passage, the, my kind of approach is... Uh, I mean, let's not let, let's make no mistake. The Book of Revelation is extremely difficult to understand. There are things which uh, people can't agree on. There are there are things which probably John saw, which was so complex that he didn't have the terminology to 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 explain it properly, or it was um, presented just exactly as he sees, and we're supposed to take uh, the kind of uh, picture messages from it. But my interpretation is, if I can interpret this literally then I will. And if it's too, uh, if it's obviously not meant to be interpreted literally, then I won't. For example, a beast coming out of the sea with seven heads and ten horns that's going to rule the world, I, that's, uh, I'm 95% sure that's not literal. That is picture language of things, and so we can explore that. Um, and, uh, uh, and hopefully that, that can guide our interpretation as we go through. I think there are things that are meant to be conveyed in picture uh, language. Lastly, um, it's important to note as we go through Revelation that we can make the mistake, the easy mistake, of reading things chronologically and thinking that they occur chronologically, right? So, um, uh, verse 5 is an example of chapter 12. Come with me to, to verse 5. Uh, she brought forth a man-child. The man-child is obviously Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Well, Christ hasn't ruled all nations with a rod of iron. Uh, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The child is currently caught up to God and to his throne. But he hasn't yet ruled the nations with a rod of iron. But if you were to read this passage normally, you'd think... The child is born, the child rules the nations with a rod of iron, and the child then gets caught up to God. Uh, that seems evident that that's not the course that's happened. But when we come to prophecy, in God's eyes, everything's done. Everything's complete. Uh, and so we need to frame our understanding uh, on that basis. So we come to chapter 12. Who is the woman? Who is this woman, this first sign? Verse 1, there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and uh, with the moon under her feet. And uh, who is it? I think there are only uh, two options for who this woman is. This woman can either be Mary or this woman can be Israel. The reason that uh, the woman can only be one of those two options is because we know who the child is. And the child is Christ and therefore... The woman who gave birth to Christ can only be Mary or the nation 
of uh, Israel. Um, I, I think it can't be Mary and it has to be Israel. Uh, the last section of chapter 12 wouldn't make too much sense if this was Mary. In the last section of chapter 12, Satan has been cast out of heaven and he comes down to the earth and he's going to persecute the woman for three and a half years. Uh, and it's impossible that that would be Mary. Mary has lived and died and uh, she is not here on, at this period of time. And so, uh, by default, I think that uh, when we read about the woman, because the offspring is Christ, and it can't be Mary, it has to be Israel. And so we're thinking of Israel in chapter 12. A great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. But look at the, look at the description that's given to Israel. Clothed with the sun. Uh, and she has the moon under her feet. And she has a crown of 12 stars on her head. Israel is hated. Israel is a despised nation. We know that. Uh, for much of the past, um, for much of the time since Christ, Israel hasn't even existed. I would have loved to have been around in 1948 when Israel was brought into existence and suddenly, um, suddenly, you know, all those promises in the Bible about God taking up dealings with Israel again, suddenly they're much more of a reality. And here we have Israel who, in God's eyes, is not despised. And uh, Israel is a, a joy to God. If you read in the Old Testament about how Jehovah speaks about Israel, there, there is a glory in Israel. There is a love for Israel. There's a, there, is, there is a special purpose for Israel. And here uh, we see Israel in the passages of Scripture uh, that deal with uh, the tribulation. She is going to be here during this time. And she's clothed with the sun. Look at that glory that she has. She has the moon under her feet. Now, I've got no clear explanation as to how the moon is under her feet, except this superlative language, that she's clothed in glory. And, and the moon which reflects the glory of the sun is under her feet. And so we have a picture of Israel, a glorious woman, um, and not the despised nation, and uh, the rejected Jewish um, ethnic group which the world so despises. Here in God's eyes we have her clothed with the sun. She has 12 stars on her head, uh, which I think speak, well they speak of power, don't they? They speak of uh, power and authority and uh, glory and dominion. I think these 12 stars support this woman as being Israel. And here we have the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, they are reflected as, as stars, almost similar to how Joseph had that dream, remember, of his brothers as, as stars. And here they are on the head uh, of Israel. And uh, so this is, a, this, is a, this is a kind of prophetic view which shows the twelve tribes of Israel uh, reigning supreme. That hasn't happened yet, uh, but it will one day. Here's the woman. Who's the child being born in verse 5? We've seen this. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations. I mean, clearly, this has to be Christ. It has to be Christ because the child was caught up to God. 
has to be Christ because we know that Christ will rule and we know that Christ is caught up to God and to his throne and so uh, we know that the woman is Israel and the man-child is Christ the Messiah that came uh, from Israel it's quite interesting to note that she cried out in labour and in pain to give birth uh, but there's no real support for the nation to have gone through this at the time of Christ's birth so there was no real pain okay they had the Roman occupation um, but when you look at the tribulation time it seems clear that actually this is the birth pangs for the child so it's quite interesting the child was born Christ came into the world this verse speaks of labour pains but I, I rather think uh, helped by Jim Allen's uh, interpretation of this which when I read I instantly thought yes I understand this I, I, I agree with it which is this that the tribulation time that is the time of Jacob's trouble and that is the, the labour pains and that is the groaning and the travailing that this woman is experiencing as she's giving birth to the man-child. We didn't really have that in terms of the nation of Israel when Christ came the first time, uh, when Christ came 2,000 years ago. Like I say, yes, there was the Roman occupation, but the nation wasn't groaning and travailing in the way that we read here. And so we have a reference in Isaiah and chapter 66 before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. And so it's quite interesting that from the prophetic view, you have to put on the glasses of heaven and see everything with a view of everything having been complete. From the complete prophetic view, the nation is labouring and travailing and Christ comes forth and he rules with a rod of iron. And it's all wrapped up as, as one. And so we kind of find this hard because uh, the way that prophecy works isn't the way we chronologically uh, work in our minds. But it's very interesting uh, to note. So uh, my key takeaway from this uh, great sign as we endeavour to move on uh, of, the, of, the, of the woman is that there is a cosmic battle taking place. I alluded to this at the beginning. I, I think in terms of a practical... Uh, takeaway from this message we, we, we learn this that great things are happening uh, and, and there is a cosmic battle that's taking place the devil is arrayed against the woman, the woman gives birth to the child uh, and we, are, we, we as Christians we have insight into some of this and we should live our lives in the knowledge and acknowledging that there is a greater plan and a greater purpose. Now moving on, we come to this other uh, great sign, this other wonder. Who is the great fiery red dragon? There can be no doubt that this is the devil. Indeed, it's explained in verse 9 that it is the devil. That old serpent, what an expression, that old serpent, the devil. He who deceived Eve in the garden, that old serpent, the enemy of God. What are the seven heads and the ten horns then? We have the devil here uh, uh, described as a dragon, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads 
and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. So you kind of have to go to Daniel, uh, to uh, Revelation chapter 17 for an explanation, I believe, of uh, this seven heads and ten horns. Uh, consistent throughout 12 and 13, as we've seen, there are now three references to seven heads and ten horns. The explanation for them is given in chapter 17, where we have uh, the woman, the uh, uh, and we read about that, uh, that 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 woman in chapter 17 uh, of Revelation, and she is riding a beast who has seven heads and ten horns. And so, applying the rule of consistency, we can assume that that the explanation given to the seven heads and ten horns in chapter 17 is the same as here. And uh, they are mountains. Seven heads are mountains. These, uh, this is a kind of scriptural symbol for a kingdom, if you will. And there are seven kings. Uh, I'm, I'm reading uh, kind of the interpretation from Revelation chapter 17. There are seven heads and seven mountains. So seven kingdoms and seven kings five have fallen one is and the other has not yet come so this is going to require some thought there are seven kings at the time that this was written by John five were fallen one was currently there and one was yet to come and uh, I think it's clear that as we go through those five that have been and have fallen, we can see the enemies of Israel. And so these seven kingdoms, these seven heads, are empires and kingdoms which have persecuted Israel down through the ages, right from the beginning of the children of Israel. We start with Egypt. And there, uh, as, you, as you know, the children of Israel, persecuted by Pharaoh. We have um, the kingdom of Assyria, represented in Sennacherib. We have the kingdom of Babylon, of course. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, and the destruction of Israel and the holy city. Um, uh, in Jeremiah we read, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. He hath crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a dragon. We have the kingdom of Medo-Persia, represented in Ahasuerus, or Artaxerxes, in the book of Esther. We have the kingdom of Greece. Remember that time when Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple and the utter humiliation and persecution of the nation of Israel under that ruler. These kingdoms have been aligned against Israel. Those are five that at this time, AD um, 90 was it, were, uh, uh, were, were passed um, at, but we read in chapter 17 that five kingdoms have fallen one is, that's the Roman Empire and so John writes this during the Roman Empire represented in Caesar the land occupied by, 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 by the Romans 
and the persecution. And so we have five kingdoms have fallen. One currently is, and the other has not yet come. And so of these seven heads, we see this, this beast with seven heads. I see, I'm going to jump to my conclusion just to try and... Uh, uh, well, because I need to. Um, uh, the, I, I see this beast as being the last kingdom of a series of kingdoms which have been in opposition to Israel. And, and the kingdoms that have been in opposition to Israel are those that I've just read. Going through Egypt, you know, the Assyrians, the Medo-Persians, Babylon, Greece, Rome. And now we have the final one, the one that's promised in chapter 17. One is yet to come. Here he is. The beast arrives. He is this kingdom. Uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is an empire. This is a, global, dom- a globally dominating uh, system. Uh, and at its head is the beast. So I kind of interpret the beast as being both the kingdom and the person at the head of the kingdom. Uh, much as you would um, often equate a regime or a leadership or a kingdom with its head. I see this beast now as heading up this last kingdom in a line of kingdoms that have opposed Israel. And so we have seven heads. We have ten horns. These are uh, explained in chapter 17 as ten kings who have no kingdom, almost a bit like, and I'm not going to say it is the EU. I was, as a kid I was brought up hearing it was the EU, um, but it can't be because we've had Brexit now. So, no, um, uh, if you think of a political alliance like the EU, or perhaps something in South America or something, an alliance of kings, there are ten kings here who haven't received a kingdom, but they do receive authority, uh, and it's for one hour as kings with the beast and they lend their power and their authority to the beast and uh, or, or, or to uh, well, I, I've jumped ahead the passage that I'm speaking about is, is, is the dragon Okay, we're speaking about the dragon but in terms of understanding the seven heads and the ten kings we need to understand there's overlaps with the um, with, with the beast and with the false prophet and so we understand that this dragon is behind uh, so just to flip back the dragon is behind enmity against Israel and he's done that through various kingdoms down through the ages and one is yet to come which will be headed up by the beast and during the beast's reign ten other kings will lend their authority and their power to the beast and so the dragon in his opposition to Israel has given rise to all these kingdoms and he's going to try one more time to eliminate Israel such as his hatred for this child and for the woman who gave birth to the child that's uh, the, 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 that's the dragon now we need to move on um, and we come to the, the beast and so I've kind of semi kind of explained this already because such are the overlaps and the similarities with the dragon the dragon is Satan and the dragon is the one who is designing this scheme the dragon is the one who is empowering the beast the beast is the dragon's man he's the man that the dragon is going to use he is a I think political figure who comes to 
a, a position of supreme power and he heads up this last kingdom. I think he will lead an alliance and he will be at the forefront and he will implement the dragons, he will implement Satan's will on earth. He will be a ruler which has been put in place by Satan and uh, he bears all the characteristics of Satan because the description is similar. Seven heads and uh, ten horns. And so it's very interesting to see in chapter 13 we see this beast uh, described and uh, this, this is the last one in, that, in those lines of empires and kingdoms which are conspiring against Israel. This one is extremely powerful. I think this one, uh, this one dominates the whole world. We read this, just terrible, extremely uh, powerful, conquers the whole world, every tribe, every nation. And uh, uh, what, what, a, what a terrible person this individual is, and what a terrible system this system is. He is, uh, I believe, as I, I, I'm, this is my opinion now, I believe he will be, uh, there will be an assassination attempt on him. We read in verse 3, I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. Certainly one of the rulers at that time. Uh, I think uh, the beast himself, wounded as it were to death. Uh, you can imagine the scene, maybe shot in the head Maybe uh, at a global event this happens. He's shot in the head. He falls down. Uh, he's obviously, uh, to everybody's view, he's obviously dead. Such is the gravity of this wound that he must be dead. I'm not going to go as far as to say he definitely was dead. Uh, I cannot go as far as to say that this, this man is resurrected, raised from the dead. But he was... I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. So it was a wound which was deadly. It was, it, it was impossible to recover from this wound. And so this is something supernatural. The beast recovers from the wound, and all the world wonders after the beast. You can see it, you can imagine it on your TV screens, and on Twitter, and everything will explode with this at this time. Uh, with this news and all the world wondered after the beast and they worshipped the dragon so we learn this that this second period at the beginning of this second half of the tribulation the, the general populace of the world will worship the beast but they'll worship the dragon so there'll be Satan worshippers uh, whether they know it or not they worship the dragon and they worship the beast saying who is like the beast and the beast comes he has a mouth verse 5 of chapter 13 speaking great things and blasphemies he's given supernatural oratory power people are going to be captivated by his oratory he's going to be hypnotic in the way he speaks and he's going to rail against God and he's going to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven he blasphemes three things which is what the devil has always sought to do. He blasphemes God and the name of God. He blasphemes his tabernacle. That is, we can say, his dwelling on earth. 
the church perhaps we can make that jump uh, if we like and he persecutes, he blasphemes uh, God's people he hates uh, the saints he continues for two and a half years and it was given to him to make war with the saints this is going to be a terrible time it's going to be an absolutely horrendous time uh, for the saints he's going to overcome them and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and uh, nations I'm going to ask you to forgive me I haven't finished I need to finish uh, there's too much good content in here and I'll, I'll try and try and get through it um, and, and so we read about this beast he's going to head up a final world empire he's going to be all conquering all dominating power from other world leaders is going to be given to him he's going to blaspheme against God he's going to speak with tremendous oratory he's going to be assassinated but appear to have come back to life the whole world is going to be entranced by him it's going to be hypnotic it's going to be uh, some uh, scene and uh, the whole world will wonder after him. He's going to turn his hatred on uh, God and on his name and on his tabernacle and on his uh, people. This is the time, I believe, with this reference to the tabernacle, that he will stand in the temple and he will declare himself to be God. And we flip to Matthew uh, 24 or 25 where we read... Uh, Jesus explained when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place run run for your lives flee for the hills do not go back to your house to get your coat but get away these times are going to be terrible as this beast wages war against the saints and overcomes them it's going to be a terrible terrible time uh, and uh, so lastly we come to the false prophet we've thought about the woman we've thought about the woman excuse me giving birth to the child Israel giving birth to the Messiah and uh, we've thought about the dragon Satan being arrayed against the Israel and we've thought about the beast the dragon's man the, the, the uh, Satan's person Satan's leader here on earth and uh, this beast is supported by the false prophet the false prophet comes along he accompanies the beast he's got the same characteristics seven heads and ten horns he reflects the power of the dragon and his purpose is to cause the world verse 12 to worship the beast and so uh, just to flip back just like we have God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to draw out worship and draw out closeness to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and to God here we have the false prophet and his role is to uh, big up the beast his role is to magnify the beast his, his purpose and his aim is to cause the whole world uh, to worship the beast whose deadly wound was healed. This false prophet has the ability to perform supernatural feats. He can call fire down from heaven and he can do um, a, a, an array, I believe, of unbelievable um, miracles. Not least of, it, of, of them is this, that he makes an image of the beast. Here we have idolatry. He makes an image of the beast. And uh, try and get your heads around this. He gives life to the image of the beast and so this is an image that is speaking and I guess walking and talking it's an image of the beast and he gives breath to the image of the beast look at that in verse 
15. He had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Uh, he causes all to receive the name of the beast. And uh, so this false prophet comes along. His role is to put a magnifying glass on the beast. He wants the beast to be lifted up, this world leader, this uh, final emperor of a terrible kingdom and empire. His job is to lift him up. Uh, he, says, he says, look at him, look at the words he speaks, look at his deadly wound that was healed. Come, let's make an image of him. And he gives life and breath to the image. It's going to be quite some time to be alive. My heart goes out to the saints who are there at that time, who are not only persecuted, but must, if it were not for the words of this book, which they have to illuminate them, they must look at these signs and these wonders and be confused. These are supernatural things. It will be a very perturbing uh, time, I think. But listen, in the last, uh, in, in the last section of this passage, the false prophet comes along, and what does he do? He causes all... Who uh, he causes all to receive the name of the beast or the mark of the beast. So unless you have the mark of the beast or his name, you cannot buy or sell. And so, uh, with five minutes minus five minutes left in the meeting, I wish I had twenty minutes to explore this topic of the mark of the beast, the famous six six six, and uh, there can there has to be global control. There has to be a global system of control. There has to be a global IT infrastructure. I would say it's very likely that there's one world currency. There's certainly a highly integrated one world financial system. And this is extremely interesting uh, as we think of technologies that are around today. Uh, The false prophet sets all this up. And he sets it up so that no one can buy or sell unless they've got the mark of uh, the beast. Uh, I'm going to finish, but I mean, years ago, I couldn't imagine. I kept trying to think, uh, how could this happen? I remember Jim Allen coming to Eastbourne Bible readings and speaking on this. I was just young. I was maybe 12. Uh, but I still absorbed some. I remember him speaking about this and thinking, how, how is this possible? He'll have to, you know, you, we can see this now, can't we? We can see this. Uh, I think uh, there's been a kind of before and after, particularly with COVID. We've seen um, measures that previously we thought could never be implemented have been implemented. We see a direction of travel across the world. Uh, You have to understand, this is where I begin to go down rabbit holes, but um, there are people who are in positions of extreme power, almost above uh, prime ministers and, and presidents, they're pulling strings, and these guys are uh, authoritarian. They are often uh, characterised by a kind of Malthusian, uh, transhumanist, eugenicist uh, approach to life. These guys are looking to implement this stuff already. If you don't believe me, speak to me after. I'll point you in the direction of it. But we live in a very evil world. The, the, Lord sa- the, the Bible says the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. And we can just see things happening just now. Surely I'm not alone in uh, looking around the world and seeing a direction of travel towards much more unity, much more conformity, much more censorship. We have the introduction of central bank 
digital currencies. Could speak for an hour about that topic alone. But we have the technology that's available now for this stuff to come about. I'm going to leave it there. But we rejoice, do we not? So how do we re- how do we rejoice after hearing these terrible things? We rejoice in God's purpose. We rejoice in His sovereignty. We rejoice that in this cosmic battle, Christ wins. We rejoice that. He, is, he will rule the world with a rod of iron. We come back to that. He hasn't done it yet. We've read about a beast that's ruling the world with a rod of iron. But the Lord ultimately will. He will rule the world with a rod of iron. You'll come to it as in your studies in Revelation. I carried, I've read the whole of Revelation. and it, my, it thrilled my soul to get to those last chapters of Revelation. And hear, hear the glory and the position which is given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it fantastic? Here we have this enemy... Satan aligned against God and against his anointed one. But Christ will be victorious. We rejoice as well that God has saved us. I believe that God has saved us from the wrath to come. Yes, there are believers that will live through that age, that time. But I don't think it will be us. I believe we'll be caught to heaven. We will escape it by God's mercy and by God's grace. And, uh, and so all of this stuff is written for us to understand that God has a purpose, he has a plan and Satan will be defeated and I think that's, uh, that's surely enough encouragement uh, for us as we face uh, the week that we're about to go into we're on the Lord's side uh, Christ is victorious, we belong to him now I'm really sorry that that was kind of uh, rushed and um, kind of jumpy and uh, thank you for Uh, having the patience to bear with me as I've obviously gone over let's uh, just pray now commit ourselves to the Lord Father we come in the name of the Lord Jesus we want to worship the Lord Jesus Christ we give thanks that we belong to him we give thanks that he is ultimately victorious thank you for that verse in Zechariah that says he will be king over all the earth and our Father we pray for this world we have learnt something about what's to come and we pray our Father that you'd give us an added um, zeal to evangelize give us opportunities to speak a word for the lord this week help us to walk faithfully to him and reflect his glory in our own lives as we commit ourselves to you now in jesus name amen Amen.